Most of us at one time or another try a sport, but only a tiny fraction become so good that we call them elite, the best of the best. Most get there through an incredible work ethic that starts as a child and usually dominates their young lives, often at the expense of their education and social lives. For most, the blood, sweat, and tears results in just a few years at the top of that mountain. What then? Have these elite athletes prepared for life after the glory? This podcast celebrates the lives of these elite athletes through conversation stories and a few laughs along the way. And now your hosts, Lucy Sang and Gary Stern. Thank you, Mark Allen, our producer, for that wonderful introduction. And welcome to our special guest, Danny Rodriguez. Danny, how's it going today? Ah, it's going great. Um, I'm just excited I can finally be on here and, and you know share what my experience is to, to anyone listening. Awesome. Well, you know, let's jump right in. We typically start with the question, why basketball? How did basketball start for you? Yeah, so my dad was a basketball player, um, played high school and was promising in high school, um, ended up taking a different route working. Uh, my sister was playing and, you know, my parents just kind of had me thrown in all types of sports. I did everything growing up, swimming, uh, running, softball, basketball, volleyball, and it just, basketball was it. It, to me, it was such a beautiful sport and just resonated so well with um, the competitiveness, the physicality. So um, it definitely just went, came down to basketball, me enjoying that sport the most. That's amazing. But I'm curious, did you ever think that basketball would turn into a professional career for you? No, I, I mean, I always hoped it would, you know, <laughs> we but all the do. numbers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, being able to do what you love. And I know I have a fifth grade yearbook and a old uh, schoolmate of mine sent me a picture and it said I want to play professional basketball Wow! Um, so when I finally signed my first contract she actually sent me that picture and it was kind of like a you know this is always what I wanted to do um, when I was growing up I always said I was going to go play basketball at Stanford University for Tara because I wanted to play for her at the best university of course. Um, obviously plans changed but you know I always had big hopes and dreams and you know I think I had the work ethic that I knew it could happen but it's always something that you know just kind of trying to focus on the present. Danny I'm curious about uh, that that leap into what we call elite status the the status of an athlete who you know goes beyond what the millions who pick up a basketball and throw it up at the basket at the park uh, do um, I gather you come from a working class family in, in the um, greater Los Angeles area. Um, and, you know, everybody has a different route to becoming elite in terms of practice, in terms of private lessons, in terms of coaching. How did you find your way toward a level of basketball that led to uh, opportunities to go to college and play and so forth? How, how did that happen? I mean, I think you hit it spot on kind of having a working class family um, kind of the story of my family my grandparents coming here and and having to work extremely hard coming from Mexico um, and creating opportunities for their kids and my parents you know never being handed anything but kind of always having that work ethic um, I think that pushed really much into everything that I did and everything they pushed onto my sister and I is you know just always working hard um, nothing is ever kind of handed to you you know you got to work and not just in athletics but in school as well um, and both of those were big, big major points in school before athletics. But, you know, when you're coming from this family where everything's worked for, um, it kind of transcends into into the children. I think my parents were great role models and 
in that showing to us. Tell us about high school basketball and, and the recruiting process. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, <laughs> we joke now because, you know, I, I got went on a visit to San Diego and, um, you know, they're upset for me for not going there, but they're happy I chose them now. Um, but, you know, the recruiting process is crazy, but it's something to be grateful for. And, and you know, you're getting all these offers to get your education paid for. And as stressful as it can be, you know, you're getting a free education um, at the Division One basketball level. So the recruiting process was just phone calls weekly, texts and emails. Um, so while it was crazy, like I said, I appreciate that, you know, I graduate college debt free. Um, you can't take those kinds of things for granted. Well, when we come back, Danny, we'll talk about this, uh, you know, thing that's been going in the air, this thing called NIL, which, mm-hmm. you know, you might know a little bit something about from both the perspective of a collegiate athlete, but also now a coach in the yes. collegiate world. When we come back on After the Glory. Role models, they can make all the difference. In our world today, they have never been more important. One of the nation's most successful mentoring organizations is Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of Los Angeles. Their mission is to assist youth in achieving their full potential through innovative and impactful programs. And no nonprofit agency does it better. Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of LA serves Jewish children, boys and girls in our local community with a mentoring program that's been going strong since 1915. That's only the beginning. This nationally known agency owns and operates Camp Bob Waldorf. Its summer camping and weekend retreat programs enrich the lives of youth throughout greater Los Angeles. Then there's a college support program, and last but not least, work that helps kids all over the world through the Teen Talk app. Want to learn more? Go to jbbbsla.org. Donate. Get involved. There's no better way to make a difference. Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with my co-host and co-creator Lucy Thang and our special guest Danny Rodriguez, uh, now at the uh, University of San Diego uh, and uh, assistant coach and uh, after years playing in Iceland. Danny, um, you went to Warren High and Downey and uh, recruited uh, by a few schools and ultimately chose University of Utah. And uh, gather you were a four-year starter there at uh, Utah mm-hmm. for their basketball team. Tell us about why Utah. And uh, for somebody from Southern California, what was that experience like uh, going to Utah? Um, why Utah? I go back to, you know, I wanted to play at the highest level of basketball, um, which I never regret my choice in a college. But as a college, somebody being recruited by colleges, there's so many aspects um, to take into consideration when you're choosing a school. Um, and for me, I kind of honed in on just one, and it was I wanted to play the highest level of basketball. Um, and the Pac-12 conference for women's basketball is is arguably the best in the country. Um, so that was kind of why I had a little bit of chip on my shoulder, like I want to go up against the best, play against the best. Um, it was an up-and-coming university for athletics just joining the conference. 
So it was kind of, you know, my only major offer at that point. And so that was one of the biggest reasons I took it. And you had a successful four-year career at uh, Utah, uh, starter, and uh, you were a point guard. Uh, I gather assists were a big part of your game. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and now it's the senior year, and you're trying to decide what to do. And we know from your biography that you didn't go into the WNBA. And, mm-hmm. and of course, not every college player is going to do that. But in the context of going pro, making basketball your profession, what was the experience for you in the options that you had, WNBA, overseas? Tell us about the options, what was available to you, and how you came to your choice. Yeah, so in the context of just being able to get paid to play basketball, uh, not a lot of people can say that, and that's just kind of a dream of itself. Um, And to be honest, when I graduated from college, I didn't have one offer to go overseas. Um, it was I could barely get an agent, um, and I had a favor from a past coach um, helped me with a great agent. Um, I waited all summer, graduated in May, May nothing happened, um, June, July nothing happened, and I'm sitting here like I'm not going to get an offer to go play overseas. Um, then came August, first week of August, I had an offer from Iceland. And I had to look, up, look it up on a map because I didn't even know where it was. <laughs> I'll be honest, like Iceland, cold, looking at the population. I was, I'm going to end up in a small town. This is going to be difficult. Um, but anyways, I took a call with the coach that actually signed me. Um, and it was really profound. And I share this because this is a really important story for me is why he chose me over other players that had better stats in college. Um, and to him, you know, I had a lot of volunteer service. I had gotten an all-state um, award for my volunteer status. And for him, it was more important to kind of bring in a leader, bring in somebody who was unselfish, who was going to help build the culture of his team since he was a first-year coach again. Um, and so that uh, sparked him more to sign me than signing girls that had better stats. Um, so to me, that's always a big thing that I ended up getting my first pro contract because of my volunteer service, because of my leadership, because of what positive things other people had to say about me. It's fascinating, and, and I think there our listeners uh, need to appreciate this. As with men, there are hundreds and hundreds of women playing Division One basketball. Only a few get to what would be considered, or at least the assumption would be, the elite level of WNBA in America. But there is an entire world out there, isn't there, of basketball, professional overseas, that pays well, that mm-hmm. uh, gives you the opportunity to make a living, but I suspect there's something else about becoming a professional athlete that it sounds like academics was always important. And it sounds like planning for the big picture of your life was important. And that pro basketball at a young age, while you're able to do it physically, that you had a big picture in mind. I, am, am I right? Yeah, for sure. You know, for me, it was always going to be just one year overseas and kind of come back because I had a bigger picture. And to me, you know, playing professionally, you're making good money, but not enough depending on where you're at. If you're playing in the Euro League or Euro Cup as a woman, um, then you're making better money. But I wasn't making enough to invest so much into the future. So for me, it was like one year for the experience. Um, then my first year there, you know, I get a coaching gig coaching 15-year-old boys just as an assistant, you know. And I always knew I wanted to coach. Um, but just getting that experience of like just being there and I was really shy at first, you know, just my first coaching stint, just an assistant, didn't say much, but I just really enjoyed being there. I really enjoyed putting them through drills. I really enjoyed watching the progression. And it kind of became like 
I think that sealed the deal. And I want to coach, you know, and the opportunities in ice and late and playing and coaching because they speak English um, because there's not enough coaches there, especially women coaches. So that's kind of where that opportunity came. And it ended up being better for me to stay and get that coaching and keep playing because I wasn't done or ready to hang it up just yet. Absolutely. You know, we're definitely going to talk about hanging that jersey up, but you also mentioned coaching now. And as a collegiate coach within, you know, the United States, now we obviously have this thing called the NIL. What are your thoughts from both the athlete perspective, but now as a coach too? You know, I think just so much has changed and we can see that in the social media, you know, how prominent Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Um, When I was in college, those things weren't that big of a deal. Um, And for me, I was grateful, like I said, just to get my education paid for and um, walk out of college debt-free with a degree. Um, But now, like I said, times are changing. And it's so interesting to see this NIL because so many of these athletes are taking advantage of their platform on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, just like any normal person would do. That's not a collegiate athlete. So just in response to this, I think it's great in terms of all the social media, being able to take advantage. If You've got a lot of followers and you can get paid per click, per like, per view. You know, why not? Um, Just because you chose a sport to go into um, college athletics, you know, there's other kids that aren't athletics, people that have millions of likes, millions of followers getting money. And I think it's just um, the fair thing for anybody that has a social media account that's getting as much following. For those of our listeners who uh, are not uh, as in tune to it, NIL is name, image, and likeness. And what really it boils down to, Danielle, is that athletics becomes a tool for you to not only give back, entertain while people are watching you, but creates for you the environment that's going to set you up for the rest of your life in terms of a skill set. Fair enough? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's an amazing thing what's happened in our country since the Supreme Court decision. When we come back, we're going to dive into the time in Iceland and the time when it was time to hang it up uh, on After the Glory with Gary Stern, Lucy Sang, Danny Rodriguez. This is Daryl Wayne, here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org, that's S-T-E-R-N, or you can call him at 818-710-2717, that's 818-710-2717. Raise your game to a higher degree. Educating industry professionals since 1991, the University of San Francisco has established itself as one of the leading sport management master's programs in the world. Our locations in San Francisco and Orange County give students access to two of the largest sport markets. Earn a master's degree in 23 months from industry-leading faculty and join a community of over 2,500 
alumni, and students. Learn more and apply today at usfca.edu forward slash SM. Go Dons! Back on After the Glory, this is Lucy Sang with my co-host Gary Stern and our special guest, Danielle Rodriguez. Danny, tell us all about being a girl from Downey and growing up in Iceland. You know, it definitely was an experience. Um, the first year was extremely hard. Uh, the winters are dark. You know, the sun's only up from 11 to 3 or 4. Um, it's cold, not as cold as Utah in the sense of the snow, but it's this wind and ice and that's just a wind chill um, adjusting to, you know, eating a lot more fish and land because that's primary uh, food in their, in their country and, you know, just kind of adjusting to a different culture. Um, but I think what made it really easy is everybody speaking English. Um, I think, you know, like I said, I think it's just overall great experience and it was much different than LA where I'm from originally, Downey, Los Angeles. Um, going to Salt Lake and then ending up in ice and just completely different cultures. Tell us a little more about the culture. What was so different about it and what did you take away or bring back? Yeah, so honestly, in in Iceland, it's a little bit more open and accepting and transparent. Um, You know, as we see in the U.S., this big battle of Democrats and Republicans and the government, um, you know, in Iceland, they're just so much more open. You know, college is paid for, universal health care, things like that, being all open about um, same-sex marriage, uh, you know, they're just, their view on things and people is much more different. The jail system, you know, I think the max somebody can go to jail for is like 20 years, and that's even if you kill somebody. Um, Police officers don't carry guns, you know, it's an extremely safe place. I never felt worried for myself once, you know, I've been home for a month now in Southern California, and there's been a few times I've been a little bit worried walking alone at night, going to the store at night. Um, so it's just, you know, like a much different feel and the way that people are and the way they view life and, and other people's lives. You were in uh, Iceland, I think, four years, five years, something five. like that, and played at a, at a high level. You won a, uh, an award as the best foreign uh, athlete uh, for your team. I'm curious about something regarding elite athletes all over the world. Um, is the sense of working hard to perfect your game, working harder than everybody else around you, which you did in high school and you did it in college, and and I assume you did it in Iceland. Is it the same? Are the play, are the players from Iceland and from other parts of the world? Do they have that same sense that you don't become elite unless you work hard? Yes and no. I think it's dependent. You know, you got a good mix of, you know, where Iceland's league stands compared to leagues in France and Russia um, and Germany. Um, you have a good mix of girls who are doing it and not getting paid. Um, young girls who are trying to get paid in the future or go to college. Um, and same thing on the men's side. You know, you got young players that are trying to get somewhere. Um, you got older players that are maybe coming down on their careers and, and, you know, they're just trying to finish out their careers. And then you've got the middle bunch, which is like, the ones that are always going to kind of play there or try to play somewhere else. Um, so you just got a really good mix just because of the level and the population size. You know, it's only 330,000 people. Um, and you got eight teams in the women's top league. You have 12 in the men's. So you just really have this mix. Um, but I wouldn't say I think it's growing. The, the love for basketball and, and the seriousness about basketball is growing in the men's and women's. Um, when I got there, handball was the second biggest sport in the country behind wow. football, uh, soccer. Um, basketball third and you know they've changed that in the five years now basketball is probably number two for sure 
um, the yeah. amount of kids getting into it. So now the basketball wheels are turning in Iceland. Um, so now I think it's definitely changing, um, but there's much different pressure uh, competitiveness to uh, professionals playing than there are to um, the natives. So Danny, let's dive deeper into your transition from hanging your jersey up to coaching others still wearing their jerseys. What you had mentioned the opportunity that was given to you right shortly after your first year, what made you decide to stay? And had you ever thought about coaching as a transition for your career in basketball? Yeah, like I said, that's just kind of exactly why I stood in Iceland. Um, my like basketball career, I started playing much better when I went professional. Um, Kind of my coach instilled so much confidence in me. Um, the wheel started turning mentally for me, um, which really progressed my game. Um, and I think I started playing the best basketball of my life and was getting offers from bigger countries. But to me, it wasn't just about playing. That felt so little in my world, just about me and playing. It was so much re more rewarding to be in a place where I could play and coach and give back to the kids because there aren't a lot of coaches. Um, because I felt like I could give something back, especially when you're on this more of a pedestal as a professional player, and then you're coaching, you just automatically gather more attention um, and gather more more kids wanting to actually listen and, and, you know, try to learn and take away from you. Danny, a sidebar from the sports, where does this passion for service come from for you? You know, my mom always jokes about, I have a hard time understanding when things are extremely unfair. Um, and this just goes back to, you know, I felt like my parents gave us a great life. I felt I had been given so many opportunities to, also because I worked for them. But, you know, the family I was born into created so many opportunities. The city I lived in, things that were completely out of my control. Um, so it just kind of always felt for me, you know, I had a dad that would take me to the gym every single day after a long day of work. All right, let's go get shots up. Let's go work out. Other kids don't have that kind of support. Um I just always felt like I'd been dealt great hands and it just felt other people aren't this lucky. And it mm. always feels like if I can give back in any way I can, um, that's kind of why this whole coaching thing, because I have such a passion for basketball, this feels like the easiest channel, the best channel that I can try to give back is through the game of basketball. We talk about, uh, of course, the title of the show is After the Glory. Um, when you played and you played in, in, in Iceland and other countries, um, were there fans? Was was there that sense that you were playing for people uh, and entertaining them? And was that something that was hard to leave behind when you ultimately retired? Yeah, for sure. You know, I played four years with, uh, sorry, three years with the same club. And I would have, if uh, they hadn't pulled the women's team after my third year for money problems, um, I would have stood probably in ice and forever and played for that club. Um, because I had such a loyalty, you know, after my first season and second season, I had other teams in Iceland offering a lot more money. But again, for me, it wasn't about the money. Um, I kind of grew to love the city I was in, which is just a suburb of Reykjavik. I grew to love the people in the club, um, you know, my coach, just my teammates, everything felt like uh, if they had kept the women's team, I probably wouldn't be here right now. I would probably still be in Iceland playing and coaching for the club. Um, even when I left and played for another club, I was driving 30 minutes round trip a day just to go coach at the club I started with, um, just because I felt like I had a duty there, um, or not duty, just so much loyalty to that club. Um, no matter the money, just kind of, it became my home, um, the fans, everybody, the people, the city. 
Well, Lucy, I see a star in the making uh, in the future of women's basketball and perhaps beyond. Let's close out the uh, show when we come back with a few thoughts about Danny and the future. Uh, it looks like an incredibly bright future. When we come back on After the Glory with Danny Rodriguez, this is Gary Stern and Lucy Sang. University Credit Union has been providing a financial edge to members for over 70 years. Now you can earn more with University Credit Union. Earn up to 5% APY with a university checking account for the banking that you already do. You'll save more when you switch your deposits and loans to University Credit Union. Bank with your brain. Visit ucu.org to join today. Federally insured by NCUA. Terms and conditions apply. Back on After the Glory as we wrap up this episode with Danny Rodriguez. Danny, what does your future look like? Tell us what you're up to and what your plans are now that you're back home. You know... I, the dream was always to coach at college, coach college basketball. Um, for the time being, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to coach high school basketball and, and teach. Um, I didn't love a subject enough to know what I would teach. Um, but I think this age from 18 to 23, when you have these young women, is so important to their growth. It's so important to their transition into what they're going to be after they're done playing basketball, if they want to keep playing basketball. Um, so, you know, I think for me, the future is just, you know, continuing to be in a program and San Diego's got a great program um, with great head coach, associate coach, Cindy and Marianne, who have been there for 17, 18 years and have built a culture um, of preparing women um, for life after college, life after basketball. Um, so I, that's kind of what I see in my future is, uh, you know, what I can do to help prepare these women 18 to 23 before we send them off you know, and, and what, not just in the basketball, not just they can shoot and dribble and um, run plays well and do all this, but, you know, what we're preparing them for life after basketball. Now you're at University of San Diego. That, that's an independent, I said, and uh, as a division one school, who are, you, who are some of the teams you're going to be playing in the coming year? So we're in the WCC. Um, you know, we're playing Gonzaga, BYU, Pepperdine, Loyola, mm. Marymount, uh, Portland, Santa Clara, St. Mary's. How does the team look for the coming year? Uh, you know, I think we look really great. We returned everybody um, from athletes being able to get their COVID year back. Uh, we returned everybody. Um, and that says a lot about the program to not have any kids transfer out. Um, but now our roster is extremely big. But uh, we returned everybody and we, we look very promising to compete. Danny, you have experience also coaching men's team, a men's professional team. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the difference between coaching men and women. You know, I wish I could uh, compare it a little bit more because coaching men at the professional level, you know, the oldest guy I was coaching was 37. Mm -hmm. um, and he was a national team player, one of the most decorated in Iceland. And we had another guy from Sweden um, who was a national team captain. So, you know, the level of maturity is just so much higher. Um, so that within itself, you got people that have been playing the game for 16, 17 years, mm -hmm. you know, a very, very long time, high level basketball. Um, so I would just honestly say the tactical strategic part was just more in depth um, versus, you know, being a little bit more trying to simplify it for people that haven't been playing as longer at a competitive level. Sounds like a great experience regardless, huh? Yes. What does the future look like, Danny, in 20, 30 years? Would you like to be a head coach? Would you like to be in the WNBA? It seems to me that a coach at any level can go as far as the success that they have with the team that they're with because 
Uh, I, Bill Belichick started out in, in, in a small place. So every great coach has started out uh, in a small program. Where do you see yourself in 20, 30 years? I mean, I think you hit it on the money. It's kind of being able to bring the best out in people. Um, in 20, 30 years, you know, uh, I've had a lot of people ask me, do you want to be a head coach one day? And, and right now I'm like, no, you know, I'm just getting into this assistant position at a, at a college and it's so much like compliance rules, so much stuff that's just brand new. Um, that at times feels a little bit overwhelming. It's much different than a professional where you just throw a money offer at a guy. You might call them and say, here, come play for us here. You know, taking phone calls with recruits. Luckily, it's a dead week, so um, no calls this week. But there's a lot more time that goes into it, um, which is not a bad thing, just different. Um, so I always said, you know, I'm not sure if I want to be a head coach, but I definitely want to be coaching at a high level, um, whether that's professional, whether that's back in the Pac-12, um, whether that's with a really competitive school and higher Division One. Um, but right now I'm, I'm really happy and grateful for where I'm at and, and being able to impact these girls and be a part of a great staff. Well, Danny, you've got two Bruins here and I don't think Gary would dis- you know, I don't think Gary would disagree with me when I say, I think we have a coach John Wooden in the making here. I um, think so too. You think we've talked off the air just with a minute or so left. Um, Give me a, a reaction to those who look at athletes and say, as somebody did on Fox News once, shut up and dribble. Uh, one of the most hor- horrific things I can imagine in modern America to say about athletes. Give me a just a reaction to this notion of what the athlete means to society. You know, I think the athlete means you're, you're on a pedestal. People are looking to you, and why not use your platform? Um, you know, I think we saw so much going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and people were um, very against uh, Colin Kaepernick kneeling, you know, and he was trying to use his platform to to say something. Um, and then people get upset when people are marching in the streets. But, you know, he tried to use his platform in a way, hey, I'm trying to speak to you guys without all this crazy happening. Nobody listened. And then this crazy ensues or, you know, like LeBron, like I said, using his money to build a school and give opportunities if you've got the resources to do it, and that goes with money, that goes with your voice, that goes with your platform, your followers, to get word out there, to make things known, to make a difference, you shouldn't just shut up and dribble. You know, I think it's more just, you know, the impact you are able to have, you should take advantage of that every single day. Absolutely. Uh, I could not have scripted a better ending to this episode of After the Glory than the uh, great words of Danny Rodriguez, former professional basketball player in Iceland and now an assistant coach at University of San Diego. Lucy, uh, this was a thrill to be able to meet Danny. Um, I hope our audience enjoyed the show. And uh, until next time, uh, we'll close it out as usual with our, uh, our, our music segment. Uh, but uh, go ahead. Just a special shout out to resiliency intern Ariana Palomares, who is a best friend of Danny, who's brought us this connection today. Thanks, Ari, for making this happen. And thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I had a great time. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team, our producer, Mark Allen, executive producer from Podclips, Mike Anderson, and our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstede. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung 
by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands, and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are. Living large and riding high. Razzling and dazzling across the sky. Back in the day, so young and strong. Work or play, you can do no wrong. But when that ride is through. Hopefully you're still revelatory Come on down